welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we strive to follow the Come, Follow Me outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and where we strive to become more dedicated disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're having a wonderful, um, I hope that you had a wonderful weekend and that you're having a wonderful day today. Um, hope the Sabbath was restful for you and that you were able to partake of the sacrament and renew your covenants with the Lord. Um, so today, uh, we're going to be, this, I guess this week, we're going to be jumping right into Romans. We've finished off with Acts. I hope that you had a, a powerful time or an enlightening time studying the remainder of Acts that we didn't cover here in the podcast. Um, I, was, I wasn't I was able to um, record, but I was able to study on my own a little bit, and it, it is... Um, it's definitely worth reading. Uh, the scriptures always are. Anyways, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead and get started here in Romans chapter 1. So, let's, I'll go ahead and say that. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this new day that Thou hast given unto us, Father. We thank Thee for the opportunity we have to draw near to Thee through study and through prayer. Bless us, Father. Bless us according to our needs and according to Thy will. Bless us that we may know in what ways we can aid those around us and build up the kingdom in meaningful and um, effective ways. Help us to grow spiritually, Father, and to come closer to Thee. And please forgive us of our sins. And we pray for these things ever so humbly, Father, in the name of Thy Son, even Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. So this... We're going to kind of just read through a big chunk here at the beginning, a lot of introductory text, um, and then we'll jump over to the New Testament student manual, and it will kind of explain some of that. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of, of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also called, are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Oh, one more. First, uh, first, I th I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken and throughout is spoken of throughout the, the whole world. All right. So that's a lot of introductory text, and it kind of feels like, okay, what's going on? So let's go ahead and look at the New Testament manual. It says ancient letters typically began by stating the identity of the sender and recipients, followed by the sender's greeting. Uh, and an expression of thanks. This pattern can be seen in the beginning of many New Testament epistles, including in this one. The, the word epistle comes from the Greek word epistole, meaning a message or a communication, in this case, a written communication. So, in the beginning, when he says the gospel was promised afore by his prophets, in verses 1 through 2, prophets and holy scripture, the New Testament manual says, Paul described himself to the Roman saints as being separated unto the gospel of God, meaning that he had been set apart to, to preach the gospel. In Romans 1, 1 through 2, the, and, and throughout, and throughout the epistle of, uh, to the Romans, 
Paul emphasized that the gospel message was not of his own creation, but was taught in the Holy Scriptures, meaning the, meaning the scriptures of the Old Testament. He quoted Habakkuk 2, chapter 2, verse 4, when he stated, The just shall live by faith. We'll see that in verse 17. Uh, he, sees, he seems to have drawn from the psalm, 14.3 and Ecclesiastes 7.20 when he wrote, There is none righteous, no, not one, which we'll see later in Romans 3. Um, he used the language of the Psalm 143.2 when he wrote, By the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And we'll see that in Romans 3 as well. Um, and there is, if you want, um, you can go see uh, in the Bible dictionary, you can see where a more a more complete list of Old Testament passages quoted by Paul. You can find that in the Bible Dictionary under under quotations from the Old Testament in the New Testament. So you can see that there. So, so we're kind of setting the stage a little bit. He's he's writing this letter to the Romans, to the Roman saints specifically, um, kind of pr to prepare for his him, him returning, to prepare for the trial, to all these different kinds of things. Um, this is his. Um, epistle, to his, his letter to the Romans. So we were kind of setting it up. He's telling him, I'm going to be pulling from the scriptures and from the prophets from the Old Testament. So there should be no reason, no disputations. I'm not writing this. I'm not making this up. This isn't new doctrine that I'm coming up with. Um, so then he's jumping right into it. Where he says, Thank, I, I'm grateful that your faith is known throughout the world. You're, that's how faithful you are. And that's... Um, <clears throat> One thing I guess we don't want to be prideful about, but if you were someone who you know the the rest of the church was like, I don't know, maybe you've had maybe you had this experience on your mission if you served a mission or in in different leadership positions in the church or different things like that. But I know on my mission sometimes we, it'd be like, well, we want to try and model our actions after this other mission because the way that they're doing things it seems to be very effective and. They're they're being very obedient, and you know they're seeing the blessings from that, and so I wonder if, in the same sense, a lot of other uh, churches or not churches, but um, wards, I guess you could say, um, saints in different cities were looking at the Romans and saying, we need, we need to try and you know attain the faith that the Romans have. Uh, because it, it was so well known, at least according to Paul here. So let's keep going in verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. All right, so right there, he's, he's telling him, I'm praying for you guys, I really am, and I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And then not just am I praying for you, but I'm praying that something, that the thing that, you know, the stars will align, that God will make it possible for me to visit you, because I, he wants to visit the, the saints. And I think that's one thing you, you'll notice a lot of times with uh, the various leaders, be that your bishop or elders quorum president or state presidency or area 70 or any of those, that a lot of times they feel that that desire and that, that love that I think comes as a blessing um, of their of their office, as they're called and set apart, that it's kind of a, a part of that, that they are granted that sliver of of feeling that that love that Christ has for each one of us, and so you see this here. You know, he wants to he wants to be with the people. 
He wants to be with them and to experience things with them and get to know them better. Um, and so we continue on in verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end to the end ye may be established. Um, so let's jump over to the spirit on, on the spiritual gift. Um, I, so, fair warning: if you're new to the podcast, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a rambler. I kind of bounce around because I want to experience the study with you, you know, firsthand. Sometimes I'll read through them a little bit, but a lot of times I I'm I'm reading this here. And I'm kind of flying by, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really asking the Spirit to, to guide us here. So let's jump to this, this footnote on gift, on spiritual gift. What, is, what, are we, what are we talking about when he says, I'm going to impart you a spiritual gift? Well, if we click on the footnote, it takes us to Doctrine and Covenants 46, uh, verses 8 through 32, um, more specifically verse 11. So let's read 8 through 11 and see what we kind of are, are brought to. So in, in verse 8, Wherefore, beware lest ye are deceived, that ye may not be deceived. Seek ye earnestly the best gifts, always remembering for what they are given. For verily I say unto you, there are, they, are given for the, they are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments, and him that seeketh so to do. That's an important phrase. That all may be benefited that seek or that ask of me, that ask and not for a sign, that they may consume it upon their lusts. And again, I verily I say unto you, I would that you should always remember and always retain your in your minds that those gifts, what those gifts are, and are given to the church. Okay, so verse eleven. This is the one that's it's pulled out. For all have not every gift given unto them, for there are many gifts, and to every man is given a gift by the Spirit of God. All right, so it seems that Paul is, is he wishes to impart unto them a spiritual gift in some sense. And we, you know, as we, if we were to continue on reading this, we'll give a, a short list of different spiritual gifts that can be received through the Spirit. But we, we know from different talks by um, Elder Bednar, for one, where he talks about the various other gifts of the Spirit that aren't mentioned in the Scriptures, but that not necessarily, at least not in that list, that short list right there, but that are still, you know, very much viable and very much, uh, not viable, uh, validated, I guess you could say, valid, yeah, valid uh, gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul is seeking to do that, whether that might be that he will, will bless them, you know, through the priesthood or in, through the gift power of God and give them these gifts, or whether he is going to use his own spiritual gift of oration and, and, and teaching to bring knowledge to these people. It's not necessarily called out. Um, but I guess we, if we look in verse 12 as we continue. It says, that is, that I might be, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And so, that's one thing that I think, one reason why I think we're we're encouraged to attend all of our meetings as often as we are possible, as often as possible, because not only you know sometimes we might think, well, I know, I know all of the you know the teachings, I know what the Lord wants of us. Why can't I just be at home? You know, the church is heading that direction. We're, we're home centered, church supported. So why can't we just you know we go, we take the sacrament spend 
you know, half an hour singing, we take the sacrament, we come home, we're done. Why can't we do something like that? Well, I think in part is that the gospel is never meant to be singular. It's never meant to be based on you alone by yourself. That is not that is not something that can lead to exaltation. Um, I know that President Nelson has often said, or not, I guess not often, but I know that he has said in the past that while salvation is a personal matter, exaltation is a family matter. And so, despite the the you know, just even beyond going to church all the time, our families are vital to to the exaltation. We we we're not brought to the the end goal the true end goal salvation is is and i don't want to demean salvation by any means um it is something that it is a, a lofty goal to, to obtain salvation it is but that's not what god wants for his children he doesn't just want them to be saved to be brought back into his presence and to just return to a similar uh a similar not the same but a similar state they were in before coming to earth. God is looking and desires for his children to come to a point where they're willing to put in the effort and the work to achieve exaltation. To become exalted is to be willing to work diligently. And not only just willing to work diligently, but willing to be willing to involve ourselves in the lives and the going on goings on of those around us that's one of the things that oftentimes we think you know well a question that is often brought up i guess in in the various religions of well why did god create man why was God? Why did God need to create man? If God is God, you know, and He's all powerful, what was the purpose in creating, <clears throat> in creating rabble rousing, destructive, disruptive beings that are going to cause mayhem and heartache and and the need for a savior and all these different things? What what was the point in that? Why would someone? Why would an all knowing, all powerful being? <clears throat> excuse me inflict himself with such pain and i guess the question that we should then ask ourselves is why is it it, it uh, that as individuals we get married and have children and this is something that i think is something that we should definitely look into and 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 try and and really dive deep into There's various levels, as always, with these different things. Well, there's the, oh, well, it's it's social. You know, I'm expected to socially. It's just something that we do in this world, and that won't get you through it. It won't. As we can see in the world, we see that in different individuals, there's the hookup culture that's going on now. There's these various different things. Because, well, I'm not going to do what society tells me. Why would I follow society? I don't I don't care. Okay, so that's not going to stick through. Okay, well, the church says that it's something that I should do. Okay, well, now we have an authority 
figure telling us to do that. That's still not going to be enough because we have various issues. We have things that are cropping up where people, you know, even in the church, well, I just, nah, I'm not going to get married. Either they won't get married or they don't want to get married or they don't take their marriage seriously enough to make it an eternal covenant. Now here's, I'm going to step on, I'm going to step on thin ice here for a moment. I hope I don't, I hope that I don't unnecessarily offend anyone. <laughs> I say that because sometimes, sometimes people do need to be offended to be awakened to their sense of um, spiritual slumber. So I will pray that I do not step on any toes unnecessarily. It is my personal opinion that divorce is not of God. It is my personal opinion that as we are going to take part in the sacrament of marriage and take part in that covenant, the binding, sealing power of God, that we are going to step into one of God's temples, one of his holy houses, and by his infinite and omnipotent power, be sealed for time and all eternity to one another, we had better make sure, we had better make sure that we are willing to uphold that covenant. And we had better understand the magnitude of what we are doing. It is not a flippant thing that we should partake in. And we should definitely not then, later, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years down the road, decide, ah, it's just not going to work out and cancel the marriage and apply for a cancellation of sealing. To me, in my opinion, that is an expression of spiritual immaturity. Now, they talk about all the time in different various, you know, church talks and different places where they say, you know, well, there are some times when divorce is understandable, there's an abusive relationship and different things like that. I lean back on it is not something to enter into lightly. There are times where we may feel that, oh, the marriage makes sense. We both have that, that confirmation from God that we are to proceed. All right, then you should rely on that. And sometimes people change for the worse, and sometimes things happen. But we do not bail out on each other simply when things get hard. Now, the marriage covenant is should be the distillation of what Paul is seeking here. This, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. The marriage covenant should be that distillation of that. That when we say, when we say the home should be 
the, the, the closest thing we can have to the temple outside of the temple. It should not be a trite, a trite, trifling thing that we say. Just, oh, you know, it should be like a temple. It should be so nice and peaceful. It should be. No. It really should be. It really, really should be. It should be a place where we can go and we can, we can express our faith. We can be comfort, comfortable with each other. It should not be strange in our own homes to, to talk of Christ, to discuss things, to, if you need to, take a moment, kneel down, say a prayer, go to your room, say a prayer, whatever it need be. Our interactions, how could, how can we, how can we have the, the, audacity, I guess is where I'm kind of getting at. How can we have the audacity to think, well, we'll have a Zion, a Zion culture, we'll have a Zion, you know, city, we'll have a city, the, the, the Zion nation, the, the Zion, this, this unity that will hold us together. If we can't obtain that, if we can't attain that in our own homes, if we Bring in the the little things, the things that, you know, well, <laughs> I know this movie isn't, you know, it's got some, it's got some questionable things and there's some, yeah, there's that one scene where there's a bedroom scene and uh, this and that, but it's not rated R. So, I mean, it's, it's fine, right? It's not rated R and... <laughs> Do we comfort each other with our faith? Do we strive to have a home-centered gospel? As men of our homes, do we preside, provide, and protect? Not just temporally, but spiritually. As mothers of the home, do we support and nurture and foster a culture and atmosphere that is inducive or conducive to spiritual growth and drawing near to the Savior? Is that something that we're, that we're striving to do? I know I fall short of that standard. And that's the thing. It's okay. So long as we understand that we fall short and are striving. I want to jump back to Doctrine and Covenants, that, that scripture we read. Verse, so it's uh, Doctrine and Covenants 46, verse 9. For verily I say unto you that they are given for the benefit of those who love me, and keep all my commandments. That seems pretty harsh. <laughs> They're there for those people. Amendment. And him that seeketh so to do. This is our practice round. This is the time to prepare to meet God. Are we striving? All right.
right, let's keep let's keep moving forward before we run out of time for the day. Verse 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I have proposed to I have purposed to come unto you, but was let but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both unto the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, Ye shall live by faith. All right. There's a little bit here <laughs> in the New Testament manual. We're going to read these little sections, and then I think we're going to uh, leave off today. Let's read it here in the New Testament. Paul declared that he was ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome, and then introduced that what many have called the theme of the epistle to the, to the Romans, the gospel of Jesus Christ will bring salvation to everyone who lives by faith in Jesus Christ. Much of the content of the rest of the epistle relates to key terms and ideas found in these two verses. Gospel. The word gospel is the English translation of the Greek, ooh, that's a word, evangelion, meaning good news. Paul preached the, the message of the gospel, which is God's plan of salvation made possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And the other one is salvation. No, salvation. Paul taught that salvation means both resurrection and forgiveness of sins. Salvation means to be saved from both physical and spiritual death. All people will be saved from physical death by the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Each individual can also be saved from spiritual death as well by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Excuse me, so side note, let's... Um, as, we, as I said, salvation is that middle tier. It's the middle tier between, you know, your immortality, salvation... Exaltation. Exaltation is the top. Where we are allowed not only to return to the presence of God, but to progress for eternity. Salvation just returns us to the presence of God. All right, let's continue on before I, I totally delve off on another side tangent. Faith and believeth. Believeth and faith are translations of the Greek verb pistoeo and the related noun pistis. The terms can mean both faith and faithfulness. For Paul, faith in Jesus Christ was not just mental agreement with the idea that Jesus is the Son of God, but wholehearted acceptance of Jesus Christ and trust in him as the one who offered himself in atonement for our sins. This deep trust leads to a life of faithfulness manifested by representing by repenting of sins, being baptized, and trying to live as Jesus Christ taught. Faith in Jesus Christ is manifested in a life of obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel and service to Christ. So just, I, I have to dive on, on this side tangent. That's one thing that I have often thought when I hear people say, oh, you know, is it faith or is it works or is it is it grace? You know, how are we saved? And I think, I think that that is a, a, 
pointless argument. If you have sufficient faith in Jesus Christ, you will act like you have faith in Jesus Christ. That is my personal opinion. And so your faith should lead you to do works. Now, what is it that saves you? It's Christ. It's Jesus Christ that saves you. Beyond that, it doesn't matter. We don't need to delve into the minutia of it, of how, how the, you know, well, what kind of particles were used when the Savior performed the atonement? It doesn't matter. We'll learn that later if we need to. What matters is our faith. All right, Greek and Jew or Gentile. The Jews were the surviving members of God's covenant people, Israel, um, to whom he and he had, had revealed the law of Moses over 1,000 years before Christ. Paul used both the terms Greek and Gentile to refer to people who were not born into the house of Israel. Righteousness and just. These are other related terms in Romans. Justified, justification, and righteous are translations of the Greek word dikosone. That's a rough one. Uh, a legal term that refers to uprightness, justice, and that which is right. God's work of justification means that he sets all right, that he sets right all that is wrong, including restoring people to a right relationship with him. Okay, <laughs> big one, big one. God's work of justification means that he sets all, he sets right all that is wrong, including restoring people to a right relationship with him. To be justified by God means to be pardoned from punishment for sin and declared guiltless. A person is justified by the Savior's grace through faith in him. This faith is shown by repentance and obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Jesus Christ's atonement enables mankind to repent and be justified or pardoned from punishment they otherwise would receive. Being restored in the, to a proper relationship with the Savior and with God is something that we should be constantly trying to obtain. We should seek that relationship with God not just a relationship with God, but the relationship that we once had with God. That is the goal. That is the goal. Last little piece. Being unashamed of the gospel. President Dallin H. Oaks of the First Presidency noted that one way we can show that we are not ashamed of the gospel is to share it with others. Each of us has many opportunities to proclaim our belief to friends and neighbors, fellow workers, and casual acquaintances. I hope we will take these opportunities to express our love for our Savior, our witness of his divine mission, and our determination to serve him. If we, will, if we do all of this, we can say, like the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. That comes from his October uh, 1990 General Conference talk titled Witness of Christ. <sighs> Brothers and sisters, that is the case. That is the case that we should be we should be so full of the love of God as we study this. We should feel that resounding power of the word that fills us with the Spirit and drives us to actions that testify of our faith. Now, don't I don't want you to feel like, oh, well, I'm reading the scriptures and I'm reading them and I don't feel 
I don't feel that, I don't, you know, I don't feel like I can go out and move mountains. I don't feel like I can, you know, speak to anyone and do all these these things. Here's one thing that I, I, I was discussing with my wife over the weekend. When I say that we're having a relationship with God, that we want to have a relationship with God, we have to understand that it's just like any other relationship. You move into a new neighborhood and you have a new neighbor. If you never talk to them, the first few times you talk to them, it's going to be short and strange and, you know, I don't know what to say. Get to know him. Study the scriptures. Take the time. Take the time. I, the, the thing that always comes to my mind is don't expect a million dollar answer for a 10 cent prayer. We have to invest in our relationships. We have to invest in our spiritual lives. We have to. Because, like, we're, like Paul says, for the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. As we strive to come to know the Savior, we will understand that better and deeper, and it will drive us to do those things to where we can obtain that. And then it will drive us, as we continue on, to seek out the salvation and the well-being of those around us. It's inevitable. For charity is the true love of God, and it will be granted to us as we seek it. I know that this is true. I testify that as we push forward, God will be with us. His blessings are manifold. And wait for us to obtain them. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.